This is Ethios with Bemneti Meskin from ethiospodcast.com. Ethios is a podcast that chronicles the lives and accomplishments of people of Ethiopian heritage and people of Ethiopian influence around the world. It's about what they do, how they got to where they are, and what inspires them. I'm a mid-century furniture addict and... Uh... So, you know, so my furniture is very mid-century modern. It's like walking into most vault, except it's got a hammer attached to it. My guest today is Hamara Demisev. She's the founder and CEO of Actual Urban Living. She's a designer with a passion for contemporary art forms, particularly furniture, interiors, fashion, and visual arts. She has a dichotomous professional background, going back and forth between her two lifelong passions of design and economic development, sometimes managing to miraculously combine her two passions in a single job. Hamara has worked as a designer of apparel, furniture, home furnishings, and jewelry with various companies in the U.S., Bangladesh, and Ethiopia. She has worked with BRAC in Bangladesh, the Coffee Initiative in Ethiopia, and the Ethiopian Agricultural Transformation Agency. As Chief Innovation Officer at Elenia LLC, she led the X-Lab and Innovation Lab involved in testing and developing human-centered solutions for commodity markets in Africa. Hamara has also spent 10 plus years working as a business development consultant for a range of large multinational companies in France, including companies such as Dior, Sushido, and L'Oreal. Hamara holds a degree in apparel design from the University of Maryland, College Park, as well as a master's degree in international policy and comparative development from the University of Bristol in the United Kingdom. Hamara, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bamnet. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I have to tell you, I've been looking into your background and uh, I know a couple of people who know you and you have a very fascinating body of work and very colorful resume. <laughs> so tell us tell us about where it all started. Where did you go to school? Where did you grow up? Um well, I guess I was born in New York City. Um my parents were in school in New York and so I just happened to be born there and when they finished their studies, we moved back to Ethiopia. Um How old were you when you moved back? I think I was about almost 2. I think they might have backpacked with me on their back around Europe for about nine months. Did they really? <laughs> yeah. So I, so I guess when we got to Ethiopia, I must have been around too. Um, yeah. So and then um, I lived in Addis. We were living in the Princess High Hospital grounds. Um, my dad was a pediatrician there, and um, and I was enrolled pretty quickly into the Sanford English Community School. I think I they put me in Peter Pan or Jack and Jill or something for about two weeks and then um, I just did not like it. So, so wait, you're a Sanford alum? I did, how did I not yeah. know this? I'm a Sanford alum too. Are you serious? Yes, so, absolutely. Oh, yeah, we yeah, we yeah. have a huge uh, fraternity sorority of, of Sanfordians and we're all <laughs> over the place. I don't know. Exactly. That's yeah. awesome. My mom is a Sanfordian too. So wait, I, I, I want to know about your parents. So you said they lived in New York and that's where you were born. What were they doing in New York? So my parents were um, 
you know, a, a batch of students who actually they first went to school in Beirut. So they went to school in Beirut. My dad is a medical doctor. He was the first e- pediatrician in Ethiopia. Oh, wow. And what was, what's his, his name? His name is Dr. Demise. He's practically everybody around our age. Was, you know, he was their doctor. So wow. he's, his name is Dr. Demise. And then my mom was also doing her master's degree at NYU. So they, he, he went for his pediatric residency to Cornell Medical Center. And my mom was at NYU. So I was, you know, I was conceived and born there. I mean, I think they were already married in Ethiopia and then just went over for their graduate studies to America. And that's when I was born. So my mom had a, I think she graduated in nutrition and home economics or something like that. I don't know what that, what that is in today's language. So very academic family. Do you have other brothers and sisters? I have a sister. Um, She lives here in the um, Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. She's also a pediatrician. Her name is Pupi Demese. And, um, yeah, so. So you guys moved back to Ethiopia. And uh, those, I'm assuming, were your first memories? Yeah, I don't really have any memories of New York City or the travels, but I've seen lots of pictures. Yeah, so there's proof of it, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And what was your childhood like in in Ethiopia growing up? um, It was lovely. You know, we're very, I mean, we're just two sisters, my sister and I, uh, and my parents. But my parents were, had a lot of friends, so we had a very social household we had lots of my parents friends over and my our friends over and um you know we went to school and came home and played with each other we 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 were all um big readers so really and what, what kind of materials did you read um well you know when we were kids we i was a total enid blyton I don't know if you know her. It's very oh, yeah. British. It's like the Agatha yeah. Christie era of, <laughs> so of children. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Everybody who went to Sanford was was <laughs> brainwashed <laughs> with the with those, and and the boys were reading uh, like Hardy uh, Boys, Hardy Boys, and yeah, that exactly. Yeah. Oh, so Enid Blyton is you know a very popular author in our household, and then my dad also liked uh, P.G. Woodhouse, so very quickly we started reading that, and Evelyn Wall, and so I think we had a very British reading now when I think about it, although like by 11 I was reading like James A. Mishner, and uh, I was reading like huge books by then, Wow! so yeah, we read a lot, and then we played a lot, more or less. What were your, some of your fondest memories growing up? School? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I I mean, I have a very good memory, so I think my grades were good, but every report card says that I just found them recently so I can confirm. Yeah, I'm really lucky because I live in the house that I grew up in. Oh, wow. Like I moved back to Ethiopia and my parents have moved to uh, another house that they've built. So I moved into, you know, my house with my, my, where I spent my childhood. So. And did did they keep... So, yeah, so we had everything in big boxes because they had also moved out of the country around the 
late 80s. So they had just packed up everything from that same house and put it in a room next to the garage. So when I came, I unpacked everything and I found all our old exercise books and our report cards. Wow. And yeah, it's really funny. Your books? So I, I was very naughty. <laughs> I was, yeah. And so they're like, I don't know how she got this grade, but really she has to stop chattering so much in class with her friends. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, Sanford up until probably, I don't know, it used to be such an act. It used to be a very tough school. You know, yeah, I feel like the reputation nowadays isn't as great as it used to be, but mm-hmm. it, it was it was a very it was a very you know serious school where people sent their kids and kind of set themselves off on a really good uh, kind of future, right? So yeah, yeah. I'm assuming your your report cards were were like a lot of A's and B's. It seems like if you if you read a lot. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think they actually were. I mean, I think my Amarinya grades were unfortunately extremely. Low, um, but do you remember your teacher? Yeah. Do you remember your teacher? Uh, Mayo and uh, to Gashat Rafu and Gashmokunin and wow. all these people. All right, and, so yeah. Mayo's son was my classmate. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and because he was his son, he was put into the other class, which was Gashwako's class. Oh yeah, oh Gashwako would not let me go into his class for the How last come? two years because I was just. You know, not being very serious. <laughs> so he's like, all right. As soon as I'd walk near the door, he'd be like, out, please, out. <laughs> so, yeah. But so, I, I, did, I saw that on, I think, my last year. I was second. So, you know, usually I was like between third and fourth sort of uh, a thing. But I don't know what happened. But my last year seems like I sort of yeah. got a little bit serious. So, nice. yeah. And so, I mean, uh, yeah. What happened? Like, where did you go after Sanford? Um, I came to Bethesda, Maryland. So really? I graduated. Yeah, I graduated directly. directly. My uncle was, you know, was working at the World Bank and he was very well established here. So mm. I think something like 20 of us cousins of all sorts came through that house at one point. Oh, wow. And um, so, yeah, so I, you know, I had already graduated. I got here. I was like sixteen. You know how in Sanford we graduated mm-hmm, exactly. early. So I was, you know, and they kept talking to me about credits and whatever. I didn't understand what they were saying. <laughs> so they said, okay, let's put her back. You know, let her go to one more year of high school mm-hmm. because that will help her understand the system. And I think, I guess, it was a good idea. I was really miserable when it happened, but <laughs> retrospectively, <laughs> it was not such a big deal. It was a breeze, I'm sure, right? <laughs> oh yeah, it was uh, advanced placement classes. You mm. know, they'd have only multiple choice. I mean, I just did not get it. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. High school is absolutely much easier here. What amazes me is the. <laughs> The the lower like the kind of K through twelve system in the states is not that challenging at all. Mm-hmm. But then you have some of the best universities in the world in in, in the states, and I, I don't know how kids get ready for that type of jump from high school to you know exactly. Uh, That's exactly what I always say. I just I mean, are there are they coming in from somewhere else? Yeah. Is there like a state we haven't heard of that they're all meeting <laughs> in or something? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't see the, the two education systems are so dichotomous. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So what was your experience like in, in high school in the States? 
no, I did not like it at all. I really didn't. I mean, you know, they were very childish. They, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they'd look at me and they all thought, uh, thought I was French because they couldn't imagine that an Ethiopian could <laughs> look like me or I don't know what their story was exactly. But and, um, you know, there was a Lithuanian student who'd come in just as just like me. So the two of us just sort of hung out together a lot. They had, you know, their lockers with some actors that made mm-hmm. no sense to me and whatever. It just felt a little bit childish. So mm-hmm. I was very happy when that was over. Interesting. I was not. Nah. Walter did, Johnson High School. It's a very good high school. but <laughs> Did you ever feel like uh, I hear about a lot of, you know, kids when they come to the States in their teenage years, you mm-hmm. know, myself being one of them. Was there ever a period where you felt like you weren't proud to be an Ethiopian because the stigma of being African or being from a poor country, you didn't want to be associated with your, your identity with, with that type of background? Or were you you know, confident yeah. about and proud about where you were from? I think, yeah. I, I don't think I actually went through that. I think I was always like, very proud of where I came mm-hmm. from. And, and and the thing was that, you know, I had very high expectations for America when I got here in Americans. And then I very quickly said, no, actually, I think, you know, it's a lot more sophisticated and more people are, um, you know, I don't know. I just did. I, so I never actually was able to feel ashamed of being Ethiopian because I actually felt prouder of being Ethiopian after I got here. Hmm. So <clears throat> I think something happened during probably the 70s and 80s where anytime Ethiopia, though, you know, the country was mentioned in the news, it had to do with poverty or yeah. starvation or famine. And I think it's the kids who came over during that period just yeah. did not want to be associated. Because I, I meet a lot of people that, that just in their teenage years, like kind of avoided being called Ethiopian. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you mean, because I was right in there. I mean, yeah. every time somebody said, where are you from? Ethiopia, oh my God, you're so lucky to be here. Mm. Uh, you know, you're not starving, etc. Weird. But, um, but I, the way I reacted to that was <laughs> sort of... Uh, dismissing them like it didn't didn't affect my self-esteem in any way i just right, thought right. you know these poor guys just don't have a clue what's going on exactly. so so uh, yeah and you know I, it's true that in in university i was mostly with americans i didn't see ethiopians a lot and stuff like i sort of went through total immersion of five years of university of maryland college park where I was just on route one or in the classroom, <laughs> in the yeah. bars or in the classroom, you know, whatever. So I was just, so, but, but they, everybody knew I was an Ethiopian and, you know, everybody, it wasn't like I was trying not to be an Ethiopian. They knew I was an Ethiopian, but I was more interested in hanging out with Americans because, mm-hmm. because I came to America to, to sort of be with Americans. Interesting. And what, what major did you pick when you went to University of Maryland? Well, you know, I always knew I wanted to do something creative. So, um, and my parents, you know, everybody else wanted me to be a doctor. You know, the whole Ethiopia is like, oh my God, Dr. Dempsey's daughter has to be a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, they didn't say that, but everybody else just assumed that was what was going to happen. And, um, and I knew that was just not a possibility. So just, you know, to compromise for all this pressure, I decided architecture, you know, so let me study architecture because that's 
you know, sounded like a good idea. So I started a pre-architecture. I think I did about two and a half years of pre-architecture. Wow. And then I, yeah. And then I realized that I actually like, I'm more interested in what the building looks like or what the object looks like and a little bit less about whether it's going to stand up or fall down <laughs> on the face. <laughs> All that physics, you know. So, so I said, yeah, no, this isn't exactly what I want. Like I loved my you know, all my creative courses, all my drawing courses or my, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, artistry courses and all those courses, but I wasn't that physics. You you enjoyed art history? Because we have one more thing in common. I studied architecture in undergrad. Are you serious? And I'm glad I didn't, like, pursue that career. I'm I'm glad I, I, you know, found the the design industry. But art history was by far the worst class or classes I remember taking. Oh, was, really? Oh, it no, t- I it took the them. love of architecture out of it because it was just memorization. Oh, but I was, I know, I loved it. I, I really loved art history, actually. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> That's all right. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, One point yeah, against you I, so far. This, yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, after two and a half years, I, I went to my parents and I said, um, guys, um, I'm changing my major. I'm going to study fashion design. Really? Yeah. How like how did you come to that decision? Well, um, I I don't know why I chose fashion design as opposed to interior design because that's what I ended up doing more of. But um, I don't know. I think I had a roommate who was also thinking of changing her major, so we just both changed our major to fashion design. How did your parents take it? Well, my mom was very worried everybody was going to think I was a seamstress. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like the Piazza, basically. Their Lips association is still heavy in Piazza. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then, you know, it was just like a day conversation. And then they just went back and spoke about it to each other. And then they came back and said, okay, if you're going to be a fashion designer, then you have to go all the way. You have to be the best and da-da-da. Which did is you, always my mom. My mom's discourse is like, if you want to be in medicine, you have to be a doctor. Mm. If you're if you're going to be, you know, whatever. So don't be an assistant. Be the be the head or whatever. So whatever you're doing. So I said okay, and I tried my best to go in that route. Wow. And and what was that experience like when when she started it was, studying? It, it was lovely. I loved it. It was very very good. And I you know I had all these. Um, I was in the Washington Post. A lot. I think I had a friend who was a stylist at the Washington Post. So, but I got a lot of exposure when I was at the University of Maryland already. I find for somebody who's just doing a bachelor's degree, I, mm-hmm. yeah, I did quite a few shows. I, um, and then I did an internship um, with a um, um, company in Baltimore called Connelly Fashions, and she was a very, very um, difficult person <laughs> to put it mildly but she was uh, an incredible haute couture evening dress designer and so we had a lot of exposure with the design um, with designers in New York and going to all the shows in New York and etc so, so it, was, it was good it seems and, like, like the fashion industry outside of New York is is uh, how do I say? 
when you think of a fashion designer or a fashion design studio, you instantly think it has to either be in New York or LA. But then、mm. I keep hearing about all these small, you know, designers that started in Baltimore, yeah,、uh, Philly, Baltimore.、Um, mm. even in DC. There's like small names here and there. Yeah, how was what was that like? Because DC doesn't strike me as a design like a fashion design mecca or even like a, a community that appreciates、uh, high fashion. No, DC's got to come a long way, by the way,、mm-hmm. <laughs> since I left it a long time ago. Yeah, no, but but、um, no, DC was really not that much, right? I mean, honestly,、um, so we had so the you know we were all focused on. Getting internships in New York, or you know, working in New York in some way.、Um, DC was a very preppy, very、mm-hmm. conservative place.、Mm-hmm. I mean, University of well, not just the University of Maryland, but DC in general. So you know, the biggest exposure you could get here, as far as I can tell, was the Sunday Washington Post or whatever, which I did.、Um, there was, yeah. So it's not it's not at all like L.A. and New York. I mean, I later moved to L.A. when I graduated. That's where I was first working. But what,、um, what kind of what kind of fashion were you designing for? So,、um, Connelly, you know, we're actually assistant designers, and we did more of the nitty gritty stuff, like trying to you know, killing your fingers trying to、uh, embroider.、Mm. Uh, beads onto an evening gown and stuff like that, and so you know you don't get to be a designer right away、mm-hmm. in that sense when you're working.、Uh, when I moved to LA, I worked for a company called Winda Winda, which is a Hong Kong-based company, but they had bought out the Bill Blass label.、Um, so I was working with them actually as、um, at first as a sales representative. So I had the whole California coast from San Diego to、uh, Santa Barbara, I think that was, and which、uh, I used to live in, by the way. Oh wow, really beautiful place.、It's、so you were doing sales.、Place. You did sales.、Initially. I was doing sales. Yeah, I was you know working with all the big department stores, and I was a sales rep. I, wow. I, I worked as a sales rep. That was my first professional job for a fashion company, and then they very quickly.、Um, Um, hired me as a production coordinator.、Um, uh, so we were producing in Taiwan and Hong Kong. There was a small design team in New York City, and then LA was sort of like the hub. And all so I was coordinating production, sitting in LA with designers in New York. And production people in Taiwan and Hong Kong, and mainland China, really. And at the time, there was no internet,、um, no, so every day, all day long, I'd spend the whole day corresponding faxes, you know, fax to the、oh, designers,、me. designers fax back. I just and we do that all day, and then at night, I I would put a stack of、uh, notes on the、um, on the fax machine. And then you know, all night I would send all those faxes, and then they would have all night to to look at everything, and then make their comments and ask their questions, and and then I'd come in the morning and I'd have a huge stack of correspondence from the manufacturers, and then I would go through that, and anyway, so that was how life worked before internet. For your、wow. information, amazing. <laughs> 
yeah. I mean, the things we take for granted nowadays. Yeah, but you know, it worked perfectly fine. I mean, nowadays I can't even go to like the grocery store without turning on my, <laughs> my maps. It's really bad. <laughs> so did the job come with like perks, like going to fashion shows and fashion week in, in oh, New York yeah. and Paris? Yeah, yeah. What are the, not, some of the not highlights? Paris, not Paris. You, you didn't go to Paris? Well, I went to all, no, not at that time. I didn't okay. go to Paris. It was really New York. Um so, you know, it's a long time ago, so it's funny. I can't get very excited about it anymore. But at the time, <laughs> it was very exciting. And, uh, you know, we'd go and, um, you know, Sonia Raikel, I remember. And, I, and once in a while, I I know it's hard to say that now, but I would be called in to model a little bit. Really? So, yeah. Mostly so you for were, print. you were basically so. doing everything. I was, yeah. That's kind of my the story of my life. I'm like the jack of all trades. That's fantastic. Any mm -hmm. highlights from from the early early years? So, you know, I mean, I just remember what I loved was um, I, when I was working as a sales rep. Was I drive down to all these little islands off the coast of Route One towards San Diego. Balboa Island and all these. Yes. And uh, so I just had a beautiful job where I was like at the beach all the time, all the boutiques, Laguna Beach and yeah. all these places. Anyway. Um, and then, you know, I mean, um, it was, it was, I had a great time. I loved LA. LA is my favorite place um, to be in America. You know, it's after that, I went, I went and left America and did so much elsewhere that my America memories from that time are a little bit dim. <laughs> oh, really? So where did you yeah. go after that? So um, so this is a little anecdote, but from L.A., I decided to go to Trinidad and Tobago for carnival uh, for a month. So I took a month off from my job as production coordinator, and I went with some other friends to um, Trinidad and Tobago. And when I came back to L.A., I couldn't breathe anymore. Like I had no problems with the pollution before, none. And then when I came back, I just literally just could not breathe in LA. And simultaneously, my parents had just moved to Bangladesh from Ethiopia. My dad was uh, named director of uh, the International Center for Diarrheal Disease Research. And it's based in Bangladesh. Oh. Uh, it's like a cholera institute. It's like one of the biggest medical research uh, institutes in the world so they had just moved there so i said oh bangladesh i don't know where that is let me go and see so i went to bangladesh to visit them and i landed a job like three weeks after i got there so i resigned you know <laughs> by fax <laughs> <laughs> the same fax system you're using the same fax system that i was very good at using and uh and then I... What job was it? Do you, do you remember? Amazing job. It's my most... Yes, I, I know my job in Bangladesh. So it's... Um, I was working for an organization called BRAC. It's the Bangladesh Rural Advancement mm -hmm. Committee. And BRAC is like the biggest NGO in the world, actually. <clears throat> and uh, um, they have a... You know, they're really a pioneer organization. And what do they do? Amazing. What was your role? So they, so they, you know, they do lots of things. They pioneer non-formal education. Uh, even microcredit is, you know, we give it to Grameen, but I think BRAC is the one that first started the system. You know, they're kind of 
came about around the same time. Mm. The two organizations and uh, and I was working for um, a branch called Arong, which is um, um, it's a project that. At my time, we were working with about 80,000 artisans all over the country, um, mostly women and mostly disenfranchised women. It's, you know, Bangladesh is a beautiful country, but it's also a very conservative country. It's like 99% Muslim. Mm. Uh, women are, and plus it's, uh, you know, the Indian culture and the Muslim culture together makes it pretty rough for, for women. Mm. So there are a lot of women who are sort of just, you know, outload or practically. Mm. So we work with these women. And um, so when I came in, mm, it's a huge project and there were about 80 designers. So I came in and I um, made a proposal to start a new project uh, within the Arong for, called the East Meets West. And which means that I was using Bangladeshi skills and Bangladeshi um, cultural um, artisanship, but I was sort of um, modernizing it and making it more accessible to, you know, the West or to other people who are out of outside of the Indian uh, Bangladeshi culture. So you know, and I was designing and everything, clothing, rugs, jewelry, uh, furniture, uh, all kinds of things. Wow. Um, the project has um, a number of uh, department stores all over the country, and uh, it's you know it's the place to shop. It's, wow. You know, huge department stores where you can buy everything except food. You know, you can buy jewelry cases. You can buy rugs you can buy clothes you can buy saris you can buy fabrics you can and we you know home furnishings everything so then i got uh, you know it was very very super duper wow. very how many exciting. years did you do that for mm, about two and a half years hmm. about two and a half years and uh yeah it, yeah it was about two and a half years were you did you find yourself like to be the only ethiopian Oh, yeah, yeah. It was every, a weird, in definitely. each of these industries that you were working in? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot to tell you that in L.A., when I was working as production coordinator, I was the only non-Chinese. Oh, wow. Yeah, everybody else were, were mostly Hong Kong Chinese. And is that uh, because they were working with factories in, in China? Yes, and the company itself that bought out that Bill Blast label was a Chinese company. They're Hong Kong Chinese, right? Um, and and I don't know through what miracle they decided to hire me. I didn't realize that I was the only non-Chinese until I started working there. So I was like, I'd pick up the phone and say, Meow Mai, whatever. Like I was, <laughs> I, think, I think I was beginning to speak Chinese. Because <laughs> they're so, all speaking Chinese around me. So yeah. in Bangladesh, we were the only... Well, no, that's not true. We weren't the only Ethiopian family, but we were sort of a prominent Ethiopian family because my father's job was, uh, um, there were other Ethiopians, definitely. There were, I remember some more Ethiopians in the UN system and stuff like that. Did you ever but, find yourself faced with either um, racism or just stereotypes of, you know, being black or being an Ethiopian woman? No, you know Bangladeshis. Ethiopians look just like Bangladeshis. They all thought we were. <laughs> we, they all thought we were Bangladeshis. <laughs> what do they speak? Do they speak Hindi? Bangla. 
Bangla. You know, speak, yeah. And did you pick that up? or? Yeah, I totally picked it up because I was working with mostly illiterate artisans all day long. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I had picked up. I'm not saying I was fluent, but mm-hmm. I could definitely sort of say, make this bigger, make this smaller. How much do you want for this? What do you, whatever, because, yeah. So how, how do you say that's too expensive? Or no, I have no much. idea anymore. <laughs> you forgot? No idea. Yeah, that's the story of my life. I keep Just moving on. Just like I only remember anymore. that when you're on a rickshaw, yeah. You have to give directions. So you say Bamdige, Dandige, and Shuja, <laughs> which is to the left, to the right, or straight. <laughs> straight? You don't know how to say U turn? Shuja. No, no, U turn, I don't know. You I just guess have you could keep say Bamdige, 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 and then you're turn. good. Yeah. <laughs> or two lefts. Uh, exactly. Nice. Yeah, so after so. BRAC, what, you know, what progressed? Did you stay in Bangladesh or did you leave? Or? No. So after after. Two and a half years, you know, it was, I, I had met my future husband, who was also working in Bangladesh at the time, uh, there. So we both sort of said, what shall we do? Let's, so I said, you know, I'd love to do my master's in development. Mm-hmm. I know it's, I forgot to tell you that there is a, this dichotomy where I've always, I'm, I sort of minored in economics when I did my design degree. Mm-hmm. And so, so I said... Um, let's try Berkeley. So we came to San Francisco Bay Area to try to go to Berkeley. Uh, but I was taking the GREs and then he was trying to get a job and it was so complicated. So we said, you know, he's French. Sorry, I forgot to say. So um, he, could, he didn't have a work permit to be in the United States. Yeah. So finally he said, you know, I'm going, I need to go back now. I've finished all the money I made in Bangladesh. We were making nothing. We were making, I think I was making like $100 mm-hmm. a month. You, you know, kidding? I went from making like $60,000 a year to like $1,200 a year, more wow. or less. But, it, but I had no regrets. I was very happy with it I, because the job was so exciting. Tell, so me, anyways, tell me a little bit about that. So, because nowadays you, you see so many kids who are coming out of college and you know i've had this personal experience where you're you're trying to hire somebody like a, a new designer right out of school and they want the big money mm-hmm. they don't have any experience they don't have any intentions of working hard but they don't seem to be pursuing their dreams and and not really saying i'm going to make money the a tertiary thing and down the road i'm going to get it was it in, mm-hmm. in the time that you were going to school and working, was it normal for somebody to kind of give up like a cushy salary for something that they really wanted to do? Mm, you know, I think I think that, you know, salaries weren't as high as the startup salaries, like first salaries were not as high as they may be now. Mm. I have to tell you, I haven't been in America for a long time now, so... Um, I'm not quite sure what kind of starting salaries, but it seems to me that they're pretty high. Um, so we started, you know, I, we started off with uh, lower salaries. And I will say that I myself, Hamara, I'm just a big risk taker. I've always been that way. <laughs> so I, 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 I regularly um, uh, follow my, my passion and my dreams and my heart. So I regularly give up, you know, what's maybe somebody else who's a little bit more careful wouldn't give up to to pursue my passion, I guess. Mm. So, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, always a good thing, but 
it works. I think it is. Works for me. Yeah. So you moved yeah. to Berkeley? Yeah. When was that? Um, I think that was like uh, 92. 92. Yeah, that was 92. So Berkeley's still <clears throat> a little gritty at that point. Uh, what? Sorry. It was a little gritty or kind of. Yeah. Oh, okay. Raw. I haven't been there since, so I have no idea. <laughs> Berkeley yeah, Berkeley was super duper. It was like so Berkeley was like hippie town, you know, yeah, and absolutely. I love hippie town. So it was, uh, you know, the idea was. I mean, although I have to admit that I really prefer LA to the San Francisco Bay Area. Just I just prefer LA weather, LA lifestyle to yeah. San Francisco Bay Area. I know everybody thinks that's not possible, but for me, that's how it is. Yeah, um, but I didn't stay long. Yeah, we stayed about eight months, I think, and. You got then your master's there? No. And my, you know, when my boyfriend at the time said, I'm, moving, I'm going back to France, I said, oh, okay, well, then I'll come with you. So I went to France. Nice. I left America. That's when I left America for good. So I, I, I went to France and very quickly said, okay, I'm never going to be able to do a master's degree in French. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so I, um, <clears throat> I decided to apply to um, schools in, in England. And uh, because, you know, it's a shorter commute mm-hmm. to come back uh, to fr- back and forth to France. Um, so um, I guess another anecdote that might be interesting is... I feel that like there's several anecdotes. Because <laughs> I mean, you've, you've been all over the place, right? So there's yeah. a lot we're, we're kind of missing out on. But yeah, feel free to tell us yeah. any anecdotes. So... Um, so anyway, so I was really interested in going to school in England and it was, you know, I think we moved back from San Francisco around June. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So I say, okay, let me sign up for a summer class at London School of Economics. So I sign up for a summer class there and, um, I go, you know, I'm going to the summer class and my dad is honored with a prize, um, some medical discovery prize or something that the queen gives out. I don't remember the name wow. of the prize or anything like that. So <clears throat> my mom couldn't come because my mom at the time was had a Humphrey Fellowship or something when I was in Cornell doing some postgraduate fellowship thing a magic. So my dad says, Hami, do you want to come? You're already in England. So the thing is taking place at Buckingham Palace. So do you want to come? So I, <laughs> so I said, yeah, so I said, yeah, sure. So um, it's a kind of a complicated thing because I had to go for a week and learn how to curtsy. Really? And I'm not joking. Yeah. I had a week-long um, curtsy, curtsying and protocol, whatever, you Did know. Did you look the person up in the yellow pages? And <laughs> no. They, the, the, oh, they Buckingham send you Palace. to somewhere? Yeah. Buckingham oh, Palace. Me. Right there. Yeah. They call oh, us wow. all and they say, these are the rules. This is how you curtsy. Da, 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 blah, blah, blah. So, and I wanted to wear Doc Martens because that's all I used to wear at the time. <laughs> and, uh, they and, say no? Uh, and they said no. And I argued and I said, these are made in England. These are English shoes. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I think I got away with it. <laughs> so uh, they allowed me to wear my Doc Martens to see the, to sit with the Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth or whatever. Wow. And so, but the story, the reason I'm telling the story is because uh-huh. it's just how lucky, you know, it's how life sometimes just works out that way. So, uh, um, so by then I think it's like, uh, almost 
mid-September and school, all graduate schools start in October. And, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm losing a year because, you know, I didn't get organized enough to apply and or else I've, I applied, it's too late or whatever. And the man sitting next to me on my right was the dean of the University of Bristol. And so I just tell him my story and he says, oh, so you know, send me your um, credentials and you can start in two weeks. And wow. he looks up and he says, if, if you have somebody to pay, and I, we all both look up at my dad and we say, will you pay? And he says, I will. <laughs> so, I, uh, you know, so, I, so two weeks later, I just went back to France, packed up my stuff and came back to Bristol. And I had two wonderful, wonderful years of, uh, at Bristol. Wow. Yeah. What, what did you study? You studied economics? Uh, I, yeah, I had, it's a master, uh, it was a master's in international policy. Social policy is development planning, you know, international policy. And um, we were 26 students from 24 different countries. There were two Ethiopians, me and this other guy called Dawit. Hi, Dawit, if you're listening. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, literally like there was Sierra Leone, um, Oman, Brazil, Paraguay, America, England, like all uh, a lot. And a lot of people had already uh, worked in um, government offices or, you know, or were, were they, they were seconded. Maybe they were economic planners or they were blah, blah, blah. blah. So it was a very rich, uh, very engaged class it was very very cool yeah i loved that and so we did, did a lot of to... salsa dancing oh yeah? you learned how to salsa dance yeah in england in england yeah <laughs> bristol is rocking bristol is a really very nice town to to salsa dance at least it was <laughs> <laughs> i would have never figured the brits yeah. didn't know how to salsa well, I don't know if it's the Brits, but yeah. the Brits are very open to everybody else dancing for them. <laughs> True. <laughs> so yeah. what, what happened? Did you go after, did you go back to France after that? Yeah. So then I moved to France. I got married. I had two children. I was working, you know, and then... Um, well, to, well, that's not really true, but there was a little period when I worked at the Beijing conference at the OCDE, uh, the op organization of, what is that in English? God, uh, organization of Cooperative Development, uh, Economic Development and Cooperation. Voila. Oh, yeah, nice. that's what Voila. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so OECD, I think, in English. And OCDE in French. Anyway, so I, and a little bit at UNESCO as well. And then I got pregnant and it was too tiring to commute from Orléans, which is about an hour and a half away. So I just um, concentrated on, I was like a coach. I was a, I was, I was working with executives from all these international companies. Oh. And I was um, coaching them on, you know, mostly supply chain management and, you know, sort of very unfun stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so when did you get into what you're doing now, your role now, right now? You're, you're the CEO of Actual Urban Living. Yeah. What um, do you do at Actual Urban and, and what, uh, how, how did it come about? Um, so, um, 
you know, when I worked in Bangladesh, it was always my dream to do something very similar in Ethiopia. Every day I'd be at work saying, oh my God, this is so nice, but I wish I was doing it in Ethiopia. So it's, I mean, you know, I've always sort of wanted to be an adult in Ethiopia and to work in Ethiopia and you know, just, you know, contribute, etc. of course, but just also just to be in Ethiopia, just for myself. Like I, I like being there. Hmm. So, and, and I like, you know, and I want the idea of Mm, building up skills and you know and stuff like that in Ethiopia mm -hmm. anyway so um, I moved to Ethiopia in 2008 for about six months uh, on a, as a volunteer like in quotation marks they were paying me <laughs> but but um, yeah it was yeah anyway so for something called the in, intra-American Health Alliance, um, who, yeah, so anyway, so they placed me, they paid me and placed me at Johns Hopkins University project to set up a project called the Worm Line or whatever. So that's a medical uh, hotline for medical doctors who need to call in and try to understand how to treat patients with HIV AIDS, which is a very complicated disease, whatever. So I, I you know, I, I, I moved in, I moved to Ethiopia, and the way it worked out for me was I got um, interesting because I'm also, you know, I'm that dichotomous thing where I also wanted to work in economic development and da da da. So I first five years, I pretty much worked in development. I worked for TechnoServe, for Johns Hopkins, and then for TechnoServe in the coffee industry, uh, and then for the Agricultural Transformation Agency that was just opening up, and then for a new startup company called Eleni LLC. And then finally, after that, I said, okay, now I'm ready. I understand the context of the country. I understand people. I've built relationships. I know you know, my, my, I've done some test of concept. Um, and so I'm ready to go ahead and start my company. So I guess what I mean is when I moved to Ethiopia, let me, let me, sorry, let me rephrase this. So when I moved to Ethiopia, um, I, I knew I was going to do this, mm -hmm. but you know, it's confusing to move to, uh, even if it's our country, we haven't been there for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, anywhere, it's like I couldn't move back to America now and start a business like this. You know, you, you, you do need to adjust somehow. So I was just lucky to get, you know, good paying expatriate positions while I was learning my lessons. Interesting. Uh, but um, at the same time, you know, I, like I moved into our house, as I told you, the house where we grew up. And... I could not find a single piece of furniture <laughs> that I could buy. I mean, seriously. So I was just going around looking for old Moswold furniture and, uh, you know, borrowing furniture from my parents' house and whatever. And then I said, okay, this is not going to work out. Let me design some stuff, bring a carpenter in, and I'll supervise him to build it for me. So I did that for myself. And then I did that again 
for a few other friends. Wow. But I'm still working, right? This is not my job. This is right, just right. thing. Like they're like, I can't find a table. I'm like, okay, look, let's do this one. Let's draw it and let's give it to you know the guy, the carpenter, who builds it for for me. And um, so by the and then you know people would say, I'm, o- I'm opening a hotel. Can you come and help uh, help me figure out how to decorate it? Or I'm opening a cafe or a bar or whatever. So I was already being solicited. Um, you know, for that. Oh. So, wait. So, I want to find out about the first table or or thing that you designed. Did you just sketch it, or what was that process? And what yes. type of table was it? It's a beautiful table. I still have it. Um, it's uh, just a solid wood, uh, very heavy, thick, almost rustic. Not almost, definitely rustic. Uh, slabs of wood, two meters by one meter, uh, and then with big chunky legs and a bench on one side, and then we designed these really funky chairs to go on the other side, and then I used two like traditional Jamaish furniture, you see, mm. and then yeah, so table, I I got everything made. I made beds for my kids, for myself, uh, dining room. The only thing at the time that I wasn't able to do was you know make a sofa that came later on after i became professional <laughs> i didn't <laughs> Where know did you who find to the carpenter? approach um, a friend of mine um who had already used um recommended him to me yes. and you gave him so, like sketches on a piece of paper or yeah was yeah, it very I technical or was it very loose or no I, I gave him sketches and it was technical enough for him to handle but not not super technical. I just gave him dimensions, and then we talked about the kind of wood we wanted. And then, you know, we use big uh, nails that are flat top nails on top, so that looks brassy or not brassy, but um, so there's some big metal mm. looking actually, um, you know, nails on top. And da, da, da. so we 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 talked through it, and I, I will say that he particularly has a very good understanding he understands quickly yes. so he's an easy one to work with he doesn't want to work with anybody anymore but he's a, he was a good one to <laughs> so start with in any case as you were yeah. making these you know little pieces for yourself did you know that you wanted to do this for other people or did that come later um i knew i was going to do this or this and stuff like this right like i would get my rug i'd design a rug and get a rug made out so i knew that you know everybody knows everybody around me knows that's what i do i do that i walk into somebody's house and i say this picture needs to go there and this and then here let's go and buy this rug whatever so <laughs> so yeah clearly you know sooner or later i was going to do it um so yeah it wasn't a surprise it's just a question of timing when the time, uh, you know, when the time came and it was ready, you know, I was ready and then everything just, you know, it's only been a year and I just feel like it's been six years because, wow. um, you know, everything just fit like a jigsaw and just started rolling. So, yeah, I'm very so fortunate what's, in that. What's, what type of work do you do and... Kind of, what are some of the examples of the recent clients that you've had, and potentially the clients that you're working with right now or in the future? So, Actual Urban Living um, is an urban lifestyle brand. It's a creative furniture design company. Uh, we do a little bit of interior design, but I've actually 
sort of reined in myself in from the interior design because it's a little bit complicated in, uh, right now for mm. in Ethiopia. Mm. Um, so um, uh, we make, you know, we don't make traditional Ethiopian looking furniture per se, but it's made in Ethiopia. We use Ethiopian products. We try not to imp use any imports. We try to work with artisans, train artisans, and work with artisans. So, you know, so so that's, um, so I guess the Actuel's main um, brand image is contemporary uh, design quality furniture made in Ethiopia and with love. So, and mm -hmm. it's furniture, but we are very much into, you know, we're becoming very creative and having a lot of fun with our accessories. So we have uh, really cool, funky lamps and we have really lovely rugs that are, you know, just make us very happy. We're all, we're very happy at Actual every day. <laughs> we're like, oh my God, this is so beautiful, you know. So it's a very, <laughs> it's a very exhilarating space. I'm glad I'm in it. Um, and then the kinds of clients that we have. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I won an award last year. Um, uh, so last year, wh when I finally decided, okay, I am ready to start, uh, to quit my, you know, very well-paying job and concentrate on on building a business and making no money for years then on, um, I decided to start with the business planning process because I thought that was pretty important. And then simultaneously, as I was sort of fumbling through it, I came across a some sort of an advertisement in an in a electronic newsletter. I don't know if you know it, the Precise Consult. Uh, you no, know, there's no. a monthly. Can, oh, you should definitely. I'll, I'll try to send you a link to it. But it's sort of like an economic paper mm. um, where they talk about business and da, da, da. So on that was this little advertisement that says, deadline tonight by midnight, uh, the African Diaspora Marketplace um, Business Plan Competition Award, uh, Africa-wide. And, um, you know, you win $50,000 seed money and technical support, blah, blah, blah. Wow. So I call I call another friend who's also working on his business. We both sort of quit our jobs and were sort of fumbling through our business plans. And I called him and I said, look at this. You have to come now. So we just sort of sat there. for. So it was just a beginning. It was a concept note we had to deliver. Mm -hmm. So we sat there for like nine hours and just cranked out, you know, like whatever they asked us. Even if we didn't <laughs> know it, we made it up. And, you know, it sounded, I mean, we made it up in the sense that we were like, I think this is how it will be, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay, we haven't started anything yet. And... Um, and then, you know, I think there were like 770 competitors Africa-wide, and then we became 100, and then 35, and then we had to come to Washington, D.C. and pitch our business plan, whatever, and then I think seven of us won. Wow. So I was one of them, yeah. So, um, so anyway, so that uh, process really helped me. So each time I had to, you know, I had to have a winning business plan. So it really made me really, really work on my business plan a lot more than I would have if it was just, you know, me just just having a business plan to start a business. So, um, and then of course it did give me some seed money, so that was also good. Um, 
Yeah. So where, where can when it, where can people find some of your work uh, around <clears throat> Ethiopia, like a public place if if people are visiting? I do a lot of offices. Um, so you know, I don't know. I Dalbrook just opened an office, so I just did their office. Um, um, Mango Productions, whatever. So I do a lot of offices. Actually, it was oh, interesting nice. because I was not expecting to do offices, but it ended up being um, everybody's very tired, sick, and tired of the <laughs> generic, um, you know, office furniture from China. It's just a you yeah, know, sure. it's the same thing over and over again. So if you want to have somewhat a funky sort of moderny office, then you'll come to me. So offices, um, and then I, you know, I do a lot of residences as well. Uh, and now I'm hopefully, um, talking to, a, a person who's building a 26 room boutique hotel. Oh, wow. uh, and we both have, you know, we were both crazy about mid century, you know, because I'm a, I'm a mid century furniture, addict and oh, buff. So, so, you know, so my furniture is very mid-century modern. It's like walking into Mosvold, but with a slightly <laughs> different, <laughs> just a slightly, you know, diff, you know, whatever. It's more or less like Mosvold, except it's got a hammer attached to it. That's awesome. Um, so, um, so anyway, so, so he's very excited about that and I'm very excited about that. So, um, hopefully I'll work with, with him on that. And, um, you mentioned now, Mango. So Mango is owned by uh, also another, Ida, another uh, Sanford alum, Ida Shinnabi. Yeah. I need to get her on the show. She was my brother's classmate, yeah. actually. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, yeah, so what type yeah. of projects did you do for her? She has two two offices, and I outfitted both offices for her. So, you know, they walked into a new building, and one of them I, I also dealt with you know, styling, uh, you know, painting different colors and da, 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 just styling the space and doing, you know, very non-intrusive interior design and then furnished her the whole offices. Uh, that's for the man mango productions. And then she has another uh, company that also works on specifically on, an, on another project. So I just finished outfitting that one for her too. And yeah, it's very awesome. It sounds like yeah. you're having a lot of fun. What's yeah, yeah. what are you working on, and <laughs> what are you planning on working on in the future? And, and what's in the books? What's what's the next chapter? Huh. So the, I think the next chapter is going to be a little bit more. Um, it's going to course up. I don't know if we can say that, but you know, because I started this year um, running because my the business model that I'm using is I outsource my manufacturing. I work with you know two or three different factories. Um, and so instead of, except for the accessories that we build in-house, but all the other stuff, I give my designs, I have specifications, I da, 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 and then I work with, I outsource my manufacturing. But uh, um, I'm having a few issues with that because, uh, you know, manufacturing outlets uh, or manufacturers in Ethiopia are, that I'm working with are really good technically, especially one of them are just fantastic technically, um, which is very hard to find. But they're very, um, they use very old-fashioned mm -hmm. methods of production. Mm -hmm. So there's not a computer in sight, uh -huh. not te no technology whatsoever. Well. So it's very... Um, 
you know, it's a very slow process. Mm. And, you know, you can't have a business um, working on, uh, you know, a table a month basis or whatever it is. Yeah, so so um, I have decided to start my own manufacturing facility. Exciting. Now when I get back from here. Yeah. yeah. So I have to find money. Yeah. I, I have to, I, you know, I'm talking to some leasing companies. They've just allowed leasing of manufacturing equipment in Ethiopia. I mean, as as a at a policy level. Nice. So hopefully that will cut, kick in too and maybe I can lease instead of buy equipment. And so so that's the exciting thing for next year, for this coming, you know, for starting from next week when I get there. Nice. Does that <laughs> mean you'll start this? manufacturing for other people as well or do you want to exclusively no, work on no. only your, your, your work? Yeah, I, I will not have the capacity to manufacture for anybody else. Even I think that in the first year, I will continue to use my outsourced manufacturers. I'm just, I'm just adding capacity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I'm, I'm enrolled in wood workshops here in Virginia. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm having fun. I'm, yeah, it's, I'm, it's a tough one, man. You really have to be a person like who really knows wood and, and how it works and, and all the different types. It's, it's very fascinating. I have, you know, my retirement plan is to, to be like, you know, an old man who works on like chairs or furniture. It's kind of my pipeline dream. Oh, but, nice. Um, you can come and do it at my place. I would love that. I would I'll, love that. I'll organize a little corner for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'll probably be like <laughs> <laughs> in a rocking chair and some no, we'll <laughs> retirement home. But, uh, <laughs> what, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's trying to get into the industry of either furniture design, interior, or, uh, or the likes, you know, whether they're in Ethiopia or here? You know, there's definitely some challenges with manufacturing like you've mentioned you know supply chain and and working with vendors and such but if somebody's young and hungry or even if they're older and hungry and they want to do this what what uh, direction would you give them hmm. so that's an interesting question and i'm not sure i can answer it very well for for the united states you know because um i don't really know what kind of challenges they may have. I mean, of course, the main idea is you have to follow your passion. So do it, you know, you know, you have to be passionate about it because if you're not, then it will really use you up in a minute, like, like anything that, you know, because um, if, if I would give this kind of advice for um, and, and, you know, you have to have some technical know-how. So, you know, do take courses. It's not because it's designed that it means that, you know, everybody can just get up and do it, which, you know, sort of is the problem that I'm facing in, in Ethiopia, where, you know, I just stopped doing interior design because, um, because you know, the understanding is not there yet in terms of, you know, it's not like copy what's in, what, what's in what's kitchen, but I want what's in what's bath, bathroom and, and then, you know, whatever. So, yeah, so uh, technical tech, you know, you have to have some, you have to know what you're doing. So take some courses and really um, immerse yourself in that. Make sure it's your passion. And especially if you're young, you know, go go out of the box. Don't, you know, don't just limit yourself to just thinking about getting to your, um, 
you know, to interior design, uh, you know, only working as interior design, you know, go, go about it um, in different ways, you know, work in an art store, uh, uh, you know, go into fashion and come back th through the back door, whatever. But um, in Ethiopia, my advice is... Uh, so in Ethiopia, particularly, you have to be very passionate because Passion. it will try. Yeah, it will try you to to some extent. But then the opportunity is huge. Mm, I agree. Uh, you know, the opportunity is huge because there's just so much to do. Um, so, you know, don't don't already get stuck in a in a career. You know. Go around. That's <laughs> the way I feel. <laughs> I any case. You know, do do lots of different things. Explore. Um, it will only make you. You know, it only make you a, uh, a more interesting person and a more interesting candidate for your dream job. My, you know, I, I really like what you said about not just doing one thing. And actually, for anybody who's listening who wants to get into either furniture or just creative the, the creative industry as a whole there's a great documentary called uh, Eames the architect the painter it's it's about the couple uh, that pretty much are well known for that mid-century modern look and design mm -hmm. but their studio they did everything they did furniture design they did uh, films they, they designed fonts they did photography literally they, they just approached everything from a creative standpoint and they just created for their clients. Um, awesome. But it's passion I at the see core it. of it is, oh, it's a phenomenon. I, I must have, I think I've seen it like a, a good 20 times. Sometimes I'll just have it playing in the house when I just want to. Oh, know, nice. Okay, so you have to share me the link so oh, that I can look phenomenal. at it before I go to the yeah. crazy choppy Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. But I, I, again, I really, I really appreciate your point of view of passion too, because I think a lot of times uh, people end up pursuing something just because they think it's lucrative, whether it's the restaurant industry or whether it's an agency or whatever. But they really don't have their passion in it, and it's it shows. It shows in kind of how they deal with uh, clients and and how their their culture evolves too. So, Hamada, how could, how do people get a hold of you if they want to reach out? Um, so, um, Hamara, H-A-M-E-R-E at actuelinteriors.com. So that's A-C-T-U-E-L. Um, and, um, I don't know, I, can I just give it to you and you can put it on the Absolutely. Site? We'll definitely put yeah. this on the website on ethiospodcast.com as well. Yeah. So if anybody wants to come and intern with me, you'll be more than welcome. Oh, that's great. I, I, yeah, I love that. I, I, I really want to reach out to, you know, design students and they can come. You know, working in a country like Ethiopia is just awesome because you really can experiment and really test and try. And, you know, we are a fun bunch of people who just want to make beautiful things for people and make everybody happy and That's yeah what are cool. you so you're based in Addis I am I'm based in Addis my showroom is in my showroom is in Saris in the industrial zone I have a huge um, loft space with like a um, carpet weavers underneath me I rented the first floor and I have about 300 square meters of of industrial space for my showroom. And, uh, yeah, it's very cool. 
So now I'm going to start my factory, and that will probably be a little bit further away, and maybe in Aliti or something. And then we can, you know, we yeah, I'd be very happy to have young people. Yeah, okay. that's great. It was. It's mm. been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for making time, and really looking forward to seeing what the future has to hold for you. Thank you, Vamna. Thank you so much for having me. To find out more about my guests and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit ethiospodcast.com.